Welcome to Campfire Football. This is episode 93. Boxing Day review and, most importantly, happy birthday to Campfire Football. Uh, It's been a year. My first episode was one year ago on Boxing Day. If you choose to go back and listen to that, you can. A little bit lower budget than today. Actually, it's not true. I haven't upgraded anything, really, except uh, just the way I do things here around Campfire Football. It's been a hell of a ride, a hell of a year, so much fun. I will definitely give some shout-outs, some thank yous, and everything a little bit later. But I do want to focus in on the football that we saw today because, once again, just like last year, it was a whole ton of fun, lots of drama, and an added spice because we're still in the COVID times. Three matches were postponed today, which is really, really unfortunate. I understand the circumstances. Good thing from everything we've read, Omicron does not seem to be all that dangerous, but cases skyrocketing all over the place just means that everyone has to be careful. There's quarantining that happens, and as a result, squads get depleted. Teams have to ask for or request at least to have a postponement, and now the fixtures are piling up for the future. If you look at the table... It's a complete mess. You've got teams that have played 19 games and teams that have played 16. Burnley have only played 15. So this is all going to have to be made up at some point in the future. It's it's going to be congested. The spring is going to be all over the place. And I, I think it's it's going to require that we have some perspective. And I think today, the last week, but today as well, shows us how much we need to think about what's going on before we jump to judgments. But there's also the fun. Let's go. Let's go into the good stuff, all right? So... First off, I uh, I didn't really know what to do with myself because you got four matches all happening at the 8 a.m. time slot where I was, which is too many, right? I mean, how are you gonna how are you gonna keep up with four games at once? Normally, when there's three, you know, I can pick two, keep two tabs open at the same time, flip back and forth. If a game seems to be going stale and another one maybe by the stats or by the score seems to be heating up, I'll switch to that. So. Tough choice today. I started with West Ham against Southampton and ended up watching that one the whole way through because it was a great game. The other game that I started was Man City against Leicester. And it was really, really too bad in the first half to see just how dominant and easy it was for Man City to just run the the whole show, run run the field. And I, I hoped more from Leicester. And so it was really disappointing to see the way they went behind. The first goal is awful. I mean, it was just a big, high, looping ball into the box from Fernandinho. It's not really a good quality ball behind the back line. And the back line actually retreats well enough to not let it go over them. But they don't attack the ball. And Kevin De Bruyne wanders into the box, brings it down inside the penalty area. It lands behind him. And no one closes him down, so he's able to turn and finish. That set the tone for the rest of the first half. They go up 4-0, two penalties, Yuri Tielemans with a defensive nightmare. And just like that, City looked like they were going to do to Leicester what they just did to Leeds or do to Leicester what Leicester did to Southampton a couple years ago with the 9-0. So you wondered how Leicester would react at halftime and what a reaction it was. And look, I I tuned away from that game for a little bit because I was curious, how are Arsenal doing? You know, they're, they're up 2-0 against Norwich. It's, you know, they're looking quality. Let, let's, check, let's check in with them. And then James Madison scores. And because he tends to score quality goals and sometimes bangers, 
I was like, well, let's, let's check out what's going on in that game. 4-1. I didn't expect what was to come. The next 10 minutes, it goes just wild. I think from Pep Guardiola's perspective, you, you don't really understand how this happens. A player slips. Uh, counterattack. James Madison scores. Then there's an almost foul. Counterattack. They score again, this time through Adam Lookman. And then Kelechi Iniaccio does a really, really good job to gobble up, gobble up a rebound from a uh, James Madison knuckler that Ederson gets a save, but then it hits the bar, keeps it alive that way. And Iannaccio makes it 4-3. And so you're thinking, what is going on? I mean, could Lester potentially pull off the ultimate Boxing Day comeback? No. Unfortunately, City are just too good. Amérique Laporte scores an absolutely terrific header. And then it just piles on. In the end, they win 6-3 Man City and really cement themselves as title contenders. But 6-3, thanks Man City for going and getting a few more goals. You set the record for the highest scoreline in the Premier League Boxing Day history, right? So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. The funny thing is the goals did come in bursts today. There was, uh, first of all, the four goals from Man City came in uh, just the first 20, 25 minutes of the game. Uh, four goals were also scored in just 20 minutes between Southampton and West Ham. They shared them two apiece in the in the final 20 minutes of the game. Leicester scored three in 10 minutes. Arsenal scored two goals in five minutes and then another two goals later in seven minutes. Spurs scored two in two. And um, Chelsea equalized with Villa just six minutes after going behind. So, you know, one thing is that, that I've always noticed is when goals are scored in quick succession, it tends to lead to a higher scoreline. Okay, obviously that means there's more goals on the board, but it it either motivates a team to really make a push to come back into it, say if they're 2-0 down, or if a team is 2-0 up and they're starting to cruise, it can turn into some kind of a route. But more than anything, quick goals tend to just, it just ups the blood pressure of everybody. Everyone starts to get more energetic, maybe a little bit more frantic. Quality things can happen and mistakes as well. And that's why this goes on. And uh, I think it was great for today because missing three games out of the 10, it was kind of a bummer. So to have these uh, seven games that we got be as good as they were, awesome. Big props to Southampton. Want to give them credit because uh, Ralph Hasenhutl, James Ward-Prowse as well, uh, that back line of Vestergaard and Bednarik, the Giants, Kyle Walker-Peters. I mean, it, it was really, really, really good stuff from Southampton today. Armando Broja as well, got to give him some props. They beat a high-flying and pretty strong West Ham side today and on their own turf in East London. And, you know, they led three separate times, were pegged back twice, managed to hold on to it at the end. And you have to give them a lot of credit because I think a lot of people assume Southampton are just probably a lower mid-table team, maybe in danger of relegation. But I don't think Ralph Hasenhutl gets the credit he deserves. He has kept this team very much on the map as a competitive Premier League side. It's not, not very rarely is it easy to beat Southampton. And when they're really in games, they have the quality to show. And, you know, today winning against West Ham was really, really good for them. One thing to say about West Ham. They have been missing Ogbana and Zuma for a couple months now. And they're still in the position that they're in. Will they finish the top four? I really don't think so because I think Spurs are trending up. Arsenal are absolutely trending up. And Man United will be as well. 
but can they be in the Europa Conference League next year? Can they be in the Europa League next year? These are good questions for them, and let's be honest, they've done so well despite missing their two main center backs. So once they come back, I think that's when we can really judge West Ham. Hopefully they have them in for the run-in, and we can really see what they're all about because I've been really impressed with David Moyes. His second coming at West Ham has been beyond what I think anyone would have expected. So big props to those guys for, as well, delivering a fantastic game. Both those teams, it was awesome. 3-2, loved it. Also, speaking of perspectives and like how we judge managers, of late – I've heard a lot of people say that Thomas Tuchel is, you know, on the verge of losing it. He's, you know, the dressing room's falling apart, form is going to bits. And if we know anything about the Chelsea hierarchy, it's that when this starts to happen, you're skating on very thin ice very quickly. Look at look at Frank Lampard. That's what everyone's been saying. Okay, love me some Frank Lampard. But uh, as a Chelsea fan, I will back up Tuchel here. This is not in any way the same type of situation that Frank Lampard had. Frank was actually fortunate enough during his time to have a lot of starters available for a lot of the time. And Golo Kante was in and out. Kai Havertz was in and out. But for the most part, a lot of the other players were there, but just not quite delivering well enough. And the team didn't look solid enough defensively. Tuchel's changed that. And even though they haven't been as good defensively lately, the question has been, how does this team is going to score goals? Now, I know Romelu Lukaku went through a drought for a period at the beginning of the season, but it is so obvious. Today was so clear how important he is. If he is around, it changes the entire dynamic. Christian Pulisic is a great player, and today at right wing back, I thought he was great in the second half. Really very good. But Romelu Lukaku changes everything about the way you can play. About five minutes into the second half of this game, Rudiger just looks up and goes, well, I'll just whip this one in. And tries to put a ball on top of Lukaku. That is a cross that no one was trying in the first half. So you see the dimension he gives. What he did to not only win his penalty at the end, that driving run to go past people, but his goal as well. This is exactly what Chelsea need in order to keep up with a team like City, who, let's be honest, as a squad, as a side, it almost doesn't matter who is in there. They're just so fluid and good. They dominate so much possession. They have so much quality. And then Liverpool are a team that can blitz you so easily with their front front three, solidity in defense. This was big for Chelsea. And I think it shows if you have your components together, if you have a player like Mateo Kovacic and Golo Kante, Kante, these guys, they make such a massive difference in key points in games. And today you saw it. Chelsea back in the title race. Glad to say it. Come on, you blues. Speaking of Conte, I'm talking about Antonio Conte. He has Spurs really going in the right direction right now. The stats alone show how much more they've been running in the last two matches than in previous, almost not not just months, but over the last year or so. I'm not sure what it was about Mourinho, but it seemed as if he did not run the players enough, to be honest. They just weren't fit enough. They weren't mobile enough. And the side was slow. Unless they could counterattack quickly through Kane or Son, they were slow. Now, Antonio Conte has these guys running. And you could see it a little bit in the Liverpool game, the way Son and Kane were running in behind, and Deli Alley as well. But today was even better. Lucas Moura, his energy, Emerson Royale bursting down the right-hand side. This looks a solid side. And so 
we, we have to take into account Tottenham are absolutely going where they need to go. Look, could a top four finish be beyond them? I don't think so at all. This is this is very much a team that looks like physicality-wise, they're getting close to back to what they were in Pochettino's pump. Also, another, another manager I have to give some credit to is Mikel Arteta, okay? Because Arsenal, after three matches, were dead last. Now, yes, they had played against City and Chelsea, who were both terrific at the beginning. But since, what he has done to get them into this position has been great. And it's not just because they're flat-track bullies beating up the, the smaller teams. They've had some very quality wins. They're doing it with a lot of young players. He's changing the culture. A lot's been made of what to do about Aubameyang and everything. Well, look, let Arteta do his thing here. He has made a decision that he wants to put his foot down and be like, no, this is what we have to be about. And there's a grittiness to Arteta, which I, I don't know we necessarily expected when he first showed up. We, we saw organization. Everyone was like, oh, he looks like a, a younger, like, you know, lesser pep. But it seems that he also has a little bit more of a mean streak in him. And this is probably the thing that Arsenal have lacked the most since the late years of the Wenger era. So, look, I like Arteta. I I really, really, you know, think he's a good manager to have around. Love the way he deals with press conferences, you know, when he was at the beginning of the season. They're trying to bury us right now. And he's made a great comeback. So you have to give him a lot of credit. <clears throat> also, between Conte and Arteta, it just sets up a really good January 16th North London Derby. So should be a cracking game. Everyone should be very excited about that. All right, Brighton beat Brentford today. They were excellent. Finally getting those first half goals and a two-goal lead that they frequently just fail to get. If you don't if you have as much of the ball as Brighton do and you only have one goal lead and you know you're you're just probing and probing, one counterattack can get you beat. You can get, lose your lead or lose the game. Once you have a two-goal lead, the possession that you have, it takes on a whole different it takes on just a whole different level of importance because when you are one mistake away from a fast break that leads to you losing your lead entirely or going behind, there's a whole lot of pressure in you doing everything correctly. However, when you have a two-goal cushion, everyone can take just that extra little bit more of a step back away from the ball. Everyone can soak up the pressure just or invite the pressure just a little bit more, and that's when you're able to pick teams apart. You just, you're just a little bit more composed and calm because you know you have a little bit more time. And Brighton are a team that when two goals up, I think are going to be very, very difficult to beat. I mean, it's it's not easy because they keep the ball. Now, Brentford made a real fist of it in the second half. But let's be honest. Those two goals Brighton scored, if you have not seen them, you have to look them up. Leandro Trussard gets them off to a great start. Look, it's a volley of the highest class. I mean, this long ball high over the top. This is difficult enough. Most of the time what you're going to do is see a player bring this down. But what you have to look at here is he takes a quick glance to see the goalkeeper is actually coming out. And the goalkeeper, though the commentator said he's in no man's land, I don't think he is. I think he actually comes out enough to where one touch that maybe would go beyond him, he can still you know, guide the attacker away from goal, guide Trussard away from goal. Or if Trussard decides to bring it down or let the ball bounce, the goalkeeper is going to smother it. So Trussard has one option left. The goalkeeper has done well enough to leave him with one option, and that's the most difficult one. And Trussard pulls it off, taking the ball straight out of the air, over his shoulder, looping it over the goalkeeper into the into the corner. And then another great goal, Jakob Motor 
carries the ball inside, cuts in, does a nice little dink pass to nutmeg the defender, and it gets right right to Neil Mope, who, top of the box, very nice classy finish, top bins, and just like that, Brighton get a 2-0 lead, and they did a very good job of holding on to it in the second half. It wasn't easy, because Brentford, like I said, they made a real, real push, but it wasn't enough. And in the end, we finished Boxing Day, with a whole bunch of goals, some drama, but the good thing is there were no refereeing decisions that cloud the day. It's goals, plenty of fun, players coming back, and really I think maybe the biggest drama is what all the managers are saying about player welfare, needing a little bit more time, uh, whether it's calling games off or, I mean, of course, the number one thing that needs to happen is the five substitutions. This exists throughout Europe. It does not exist in England right now. Here's my thing about the five substitutions. In general, I have absolutely no problems with it. I I could get into why, mostly because I just like opportunities for players. You know, if there's 10 minutes left in the game, team's 3-0 up, they've already used three subs, well, they leave everyone on. You've got that extra substitution window. You put on two young players, someone gets a debut. You maybe got put someone in the shop window who needs, you know, some minutes and to... to just get a little bit of a bump maybe. Some, some, sometimes a player who has not been getting any time can come on in the final minutes when you're routing a team and score a goal and it can do great things for their confidence. And like I said, can maybe put them in the shop window leading into January. So it's not the worst thing. I personally really enjoyed seeing Chelsea play against Brentford in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal. Saw three young players uh, for Chelsea that I'd never seen before. And it was really great to... Just get a little window into the next generation. And I know that this is something Thomas Tuchel didn't want, right, to, to have to play these players and bring bring starters off the bench. And Jurgen Klopp's been upset about it as well. But I, I will say this. It is – I think it's fine for us to continue playing. But I think there's also so much pressure on every team, player, and manager to get the results when – they're having five, six, seven players removed from the camp because of COVID. They're having the training facilities, the academies shut down because of COVID. All of this makes it more difficult for them. And so expectations, can they be lowered a little bit? I think that is something that the media, the pundits, us as fans, and you know, I also say that as podcasters, it would be good for all of us to actually just say, hey, this is a wild time. Let's just enjoy whatever random thing happens right now. Because I think the pressure that people put on, it gets a little bit ridiculous. Okay. That's all for my Boxing Day uh, recap. What I really want to do now is celebrate the one year of Campfire Football. And what a year it's been. So, look, I started this off for a multitude of reasons and from a different bunch of different inspirations but really it was for my own sanity watching football during lockdown paying attention to the way the narratives on social media and the things that pundits and and commentators were saying i started to feel as if my opinion was valuable but i didn't hear it and so i wanted it in the mix i don't care if i'm you know one of the biggest podcasters around. It doesn't matter to me. I just wanted to be able to say these things and put them in there and hopefully be able to share with other people. And maybe, maybe it goes a little further than that, becomes something bigger. I've been inspired by so many people along the way uh, and have built a community. 
I've learned a lot of little technical things about sound production. I've been making more of my own beats and just enjoyed making videos and digging into little topics that I otherwise probably would have not done had I not had this as a driving force in my life, as a creative force in my life. But more than anything, I just want to give a shout out to everyone who gave me a boost over the last year and has really made this possible. First and foremost, merci maman, thank you to my mom, um, my biggest teacher, my first listener, and uh, probably my, my most ardent supporter. Uh, I thank her so much for everything she's done listening to me. Also, a close second, my partner Celia, she has given me more, more than enough ear over the last year, feedback on my ideas little things sometimes stuff that I just talk about and then it goes away in the wind and she's just there listening and supporting me so that's been huge it's been a great inspiration as well to talk to her about the creative process she is an artist as well just is able to help me dive into what headspace I need to be in to be able to make this and be proud of whatever it is I do to my buddies Ben Sipkoff and Jesse Suarez Castro who early in the beginning joined me for a couple episodes one about goalkeeping Jesse and I also talked about the Super League when that whole debacle happened. Uh, and also to my fellow podcasting community, Soccer Subs, Footy Misfits, Claire from EPL Rect, Brandon Griffiths from In The Eleven Pod. You guys, you guys have been great. You guys have been a great support community. And to everyone else out there who I've interacted with, uh, whether it's on social media or in any other way, I look forward to more. I look forward to us building this community and making it bigger. To my guests, um, the Talent Project, Mark Dillon, that was an amazing episode. Really, really felt like it got me going. So much inspiration there, and it's been awesome to see more players from the U.S. go over to Germany to try and learn more and apply their trade. Ben Sandu and Lori Youngson, of course, even though she wasn't on the interview of Ida Sports, just another really great time something that gave me a window into wow there's people doing awesome things for the growth of soccer in the equipment side especially for women it was just such a cool time sam chapel of denver soccer society a guy who's created a little project here in denver that i think is noble amazing for the culture of the game and i suggest anyone who's interested to listen to that and try and take up whatever you can like that in your home city and my homie jason kiever who took me on board the Northfield High School team. We won State 20-0 this year. To be a part of that ride was amazing. And then to be able to do an in-studio episode with him to recap all of that, awesome. But also thanks, Jason, because uh, you blew up the listenership after your episode. I really do appreciate that. And of course, thank you to everyone who has listened. Whether you started early on or you just picked up, it doesn't really matter. I'm just excited to be able to give something your way. I will continue to do this because I enjoy it. My The last thing that's going to happen is that this is going to end up in the 2022 podcast graveyard. No, we will keep going. How it evolves, I don't really know, but I will just continue reporting, commenting, and opining on the game I love. This is what I just, it gives me so much drive, so much passion. And in the new year, hopefully there will be more changes and evolutions in this podcast. Interviews with more people that I find interesting and inspiring and hopefully can share your way. Hopefully some in the studio as well. That'd be kind of nice. But uh, hey, I also hope, hope to have the website live in the new year. 
Most of all, though, Campfire Football, it's not just me talking into a mic. It's my dream of building a community and really bringing good people, quality ideas, and a positive dialogue to build a stronger soccer culture in this country and in the world. For any of you who are on board with that, consider yourselves fellow campers and consider me your resident practical pyro. On to year two, everybody. Please reach out, anybody, if you want to collab, if you want to talk about something, if you have something you want me to cover, if you have a suggestion of someone that you think I should talk to, whatever it is, get in touch. I'm always down. You can find me on social media, on Instagram. That's probably the easiest place. Or snfcpod at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. Peace, love, luck in 22. My name's Sebastian North. This is Campfire Football. Let's go for another year, everybody.